Wonderful. We're doing uh, Palm Sunday in two lots, um, and we'll do the second lot on Palm Sunday next week. Um, Mike Reeves preached um, verse 20 to 26 uh, in October, so I won't spend long on those verses, but um, do try and listen to that online as a real treat. So helpful um, and a wonderful teaching resource for us. Let's pray. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Our loving Father, as we explore these words of yours, please, by your Spirit, enable us to see Jesus, more of him, that we would know his eternal comfort. Amen. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That's the first question put to believers in the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and in death? In essence, comfort is what this crowd in our Bible reading want. Jesus seems to be the big answer to their problems. Finally, someone who fits the bill when it comes to God's rescuing king, the promised one, the Messiah. He was proving to be magnificent, teaching like no one had ever taught before, performing outstanding miracles. He wasn't in the pocket of the religious establishment. Now he had raised the dead. The Roman occupation had lasted years. Is this finally God's redemption? What is your only comfort in life and in death? If someone could click their fingers, what would you wish to be different about your life? What would you like to get rid of? What would make all the difference? Well, it's possible that what you're thinking about right now is one of those things that's stopping you from truly experiencing the freedom, the peace God so wants you to have. Something which seems to be addressed on this first Palm Sunday. For here, not only does Jesus announce his kingship publicly, but he carefully outlines what sort of king he came to be, which is something that can take us a while to truly grasp. Verse 16, Jesus' close followers don't understand what's going on, but after his glorification, they will. Similarly for us, understand that understanding that will unlock our own misunderstandings or our own reluctance to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. So what is your only comfort in life and in death? And here on this noisy and dusty road, Jesus shows us what it must be. And the first point, on Palm Sunday, Jesus chooses death. Jesus chooses death. How come? Well, he enters Jerusalem as king. Remember, it's Passover season. In chapter 11, verse 8, the disciples are shocked. Jesus is on his way to Judea. That's ridiculous. That's where the enemies are. They'll kill him. And at the end of chapter 11 and verse 51, again, we see that. Israel's leaders looking to kill Jesus. Better that the troublemaker Jesus dies rather than the nation perishing at the hands of the Romans. So as he enters Jerusalem, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Despite the danger, he's going and he's in total control. 
Earlier in John's account, Jesus kept saying that this wasn't his hour. It's not my time. Remember, he said it to his mother at the wedding at Canaan, Galilee. No, it's not his time. But now, verse 23, he declares the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's his time. He knows what he's doing. And verse 17, we see the crowd that witnessed the raising of Lazarus. They're still with Jesus. And that proves conclusively that Jesus was the expected Messiah. He's risen someone from the dead. And there's this great expectation as Jesus approaches the capital. And verse 12, the Passover crowd get it as well. Passover brought more than probably two million people, pilgrims, to Jerusalem. At a time of year of increased hunger for God's intervention. And verse 12, the crowd knew who Jesus was. They'd heard he was on his way. And they also seem to understand what the implications are. They take up palm branches and they go out to meet him. And by this stage in Israel's history, palm branches were a strong national symbol. Ever since the time of Judas Maccabees, who led that rebellion against the Romans, um, it's a bit like our Union Jack. And it's sometimes put on the coins as well. So it seems as they grab these palm branches that they're welcoming Jesus as Messiah King. This is a coronation. And like me, I'm sure you've seen those black and white films of the Queen's coronation. As she comes into Westminster, 1953, the crowd's going wild before she goes inside to be crowned. And verse 13 in our passage, they shout, Hosanna. Literally, God, give us salvation now. Quoting Psalm 118, it's a well-known song of God's rescue, popular at this time. And they're sensing victory, possibly vanquishing this, one, this enemy, the Romans, finally. So verse 13 again. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's, again, it's Psalm 118, a messianic welcome. And so we could be sure this is what the crowds meant. But John, in verse 13, includes, they also shouted, blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus has raised the dead. This must be the king, the Messiah. And they were right. This is wonderful news. But is he the Messiah that people really wanted? Is Jesus the rescuer that you really want? What is your comfort or the comfort that you crave? Often it's things like power or some sort of victory, possibly over health or a financial security. But Jesus' salvation is far greater than a material rescue, getting rid of the Romans. On Palm Sunday, Jesus chooses death. And to make that point, Jesus enters Jerusalem as king on a donkey. So on verse 13, the crowd are going wild. But Jesus is possibly about to dampen the mood in verse 14. He needs to show them what sort of Messiah he is or he will be. To show their power and prestige, victorious and conquering kings would enter cities on war horses, on stallions, on mighty animals often with prisoners and the spoils of war following them in. And when I think of that, I can't help thinking of President Putin 
um, on his inauguration in 2018 and that ridiculously lengthy walk down the corridors of the Kremlin all the way to the podium to make his uh, statements of being president and getting those adorating, all the staff probably paid to clap him all the way there. And I think of Donald Trump at one of his rallies endlessly going on about how great he is, Donald Trump. Power and prestige. Well, this is quite different, isn't it? Jesus doesn't pick out a mighty stallion, but a young donkey, the beast of burden. Nothing impressive about that. Such a confusing anticlimax. This is, this is just so run-of-the-mill. Imagine President Biden arriving at the red carpet at Buckingham Palace in a slightly rusty Honda Jazz. No wonder in verse 16, Jesus' disciples are scratching their heads. What's going on? But then, as we read on in that verse, Jesus is glorified. They will understand. When alone, he is led to the place of crucifixion, nailed to a tree, betrayed, deserted, humiliated, mocked. And where the crowds who shouted Hosanna on Palm Sunday will shout, crucify. Jesus dying a criminal's death, a slave's death. And this apparently is his glory. That's what the Bible teaches us. This is his moment of glorification, his coronation, his victory. That's what he's come to do. On Palm Sunday, Jesus is demonstrating that he chooses death by entering on a donkey. This king had not come to be served, but to serve. This king had come to wash his disciples' feet. This king is a humble servant who will lay down his life for God rejecting sinners like you and me. Why? Well, the reading from Zechariah helped, didn't it? Here we learn this sort of king is righteous and victorious, not a military leader, but humble. And what did he achieve? Verse 10 of Zechariah 9, I will take away the chariots, the war horses, the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. Peace, not peace in Israel or peace in the Middle East, which of course we long for. There's so much unrest in our dislocated world. We weep at the trauma in Ukraine. We see the divisions over Brexit still. Or even closer to home, in our homes and streets, disrupted and divided relationships. No, this king comes to bring peace with the God who made us. The God that you and I rejected. He came to bring us back to himself. We have all spoiled our relationship with the Lord. There is fracture, brokenness, but here comes one, humble, riding on a donkey, to bring us peace together with the Lord again, fulfilled at Easter, the glorification of Jesus as he dies on the cross, rising again on the third day, after which he appeared to his disciples in the upper room and he said, peace be with you. My peace I give you. And how will he do this? 
Zechariah 9.11, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you. He will do this. He will bring freedom to the prisoners by the shedding of blood. Interestingly, John is the only gospel writer to mention blood on his account of the cross, the crucifixion, as it spills, pours from Jesus' side when he dies. So we need to be clear. Jesus wasn't some, just some great moral teacher or a political reactionary. This wasn't a failed coup as he lay crucified on the cross. To avoid the mistake of the Jerusalem crowds who shouted crucify, we need to get Jesus' identity right to follow, to worship the true Jesus. He is the Messiah who comes bringing far, far more than material relief. On Palm Sunday, Jesus chooses death. Thank you. On Palm Sunday, Jesus chooses death to bring you life. To bring you life. Second point. Jesus dies to bring you life. Remember, Jerusalem was packed. Jesus had really kicked the hornet's nest. And this is just what the religious authorities were worrying about. Look at verse 19. The whole world is going after Jesus. Rome will press the panic button. They will come and raise Jerusalem to the ground. So the leaders need to get on the program and kill Jesus to save the nation. Now, Jesus could have taken advantage of the tidal wave of popularity at this point. As he rode into Jerusalem, he could have got on the stallion. He could have announced his leadership and proposed to throw over the, um, overthrow the Romans. But no, he comes on a donkey. And then, when he arrives in Jerusalem, he begins to talk about his death. Did you see that in verse 24? I tell you the truth, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Many seeds. In other words, if he remains as he is, as King Jesus, nothing changes. Nothing changes. I'm worried I've... Yeah, nothing changes. So I've lost my place. So if Jesus falls to the ground, verse 24, he will provide life for many. There'll be many seeds. And last week, Mary stooped down to wash Jesus' feet. And he accepts that, doesn't he? He accepts that devotion. She is preparing him for burial. This is a funeral procession. So Palm Sunday is a rather bizarre coronation, isn't it? Because who would crown a king who is about to die? 1953, as the queen comes to Westminster, there wouldn't be such a crowd if they knew that she was going to die the following week. The king is receiving a crown on death row. But that is God's plan. Have you understood that? This is God's plan. And back to verse 10 of chapter 12 in Zechariah. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. They will mourn for him. It was always God's plan. This was written hundreds of years before Jesus came. The crowd will look on the Lord God. He is pierced and they will mourn. 
as in his undeserved love for his rebellious people, his blood will be poured out. This is so wonderful. This is absolute gold for us on a Sunday morning in April. But the crowds are not understanding it, and too often nor do we, which means we don't give God the worship he deserves because we're not really grasping how wonderful he is and how wonderful it is that he's brought us close to himself. And so let's return to verse 16 again and the disciples' lack of understanding because this is so helpful because it brings them to an understanding of the true and into true devotion. And that is firstly that they see Jesus' glory. They see Jesus go to the cross and being raised again from the dead. And if we begin to get shaky in our discipleship, that's exactly what we should do. If we could begin to get distracted by the world, this is exactly what we should do. We should go back to God's glorification in Christ. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the one crucified and risen for us. Sit at the foot of the cross. Meditate on his sacrifice of victory. It's a principal lesson for the Christian life. It's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper so often. So easily to take our eyes off. So easy to take our eyes off Jesus. But we need to keep our eyes fixed on him. To see his glory. And that's what the disciples did. And it transformed them. And secondly, look at verse 16. The disciples also learned from the scriptures. So we too need to be Bible students. Grow in our understanding of his grace, to read it daily, to speak it to one another, to memorize it, to meditate over it. I was recently with Richard and Arta, and Arta was going around, sorry, they used to, um, Richard was a curate here, Um, Arta is at the moment going around giving free Bibles away to as many people as she can and sitting down and reading it with them because she knows this is so vital for us. Let's listen to him. This is how he's revealed himself to us. So Jesus, full of purpose, makes his way to Jerusalem, humbly to die on a cross for me and for you. And he would not let anything hinder that. As Mary stooped down to uh, pour oil on his feet, he said, leave her alone. She's preparing me for burial. This is right and good, doing what she's supposed to do. Only death can bring life. If a grain falls to the ground, then there can be many seeds. Jesus has to die in order to rise again on the last day. And as we labor on this point, we do so because, as I said a couple of weeks ago, um, the, the world outside doesn't want to hear that. And sometimes some of our churches don't want to hear it either. This is not an acceptable message that Jesus died on our behalf on the cross. But we need to trust in this Jesus, in the one who laid down his life as a substitute. We can't put our trust in a different Jesus, a fake Jesus. So we can't take this news casually, but like Mary last week, pouring out our lives for this Jesus. And that's what verse 25 and 26 say, don't they? Jesus is beginning to invite the world to himself. The Greeks come to him. And what does he require? Verse 25, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life, discards it for Jesus, will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. 
my servant, my father will honor the one who serves me. That's our life's calling, isn't it? Each one of us. We follow the one who goes to the cross. And so we too die to ourselves, to our desires. We give our lives, we pour it out. We pour it out. We pour it out. And as we do, this is extraordinary, isn't it? The Lord God of heaven and earth honors us. So what is your only comfort in life and in death? Well, as I finish, um, let's go back to Zechariah. And this time, chapter 13, verse 1. It's on the screen. You don't have to look it up. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. There will be a day when this fountain of blood will be opened, cleansing completely of our sins so that we can stand before God accepted, loving us for who we are, forgiven because we trust in Jesus. And that's his glory. That's Jesus' glory. And if you understand this, if you're putting your trust in this Jesus, asking him to pay for your sins, trusting in his substitutional death as you, as you grab onto him, you find he's grabbing onto you. And if we're doing that, we'll see a spec spectacle far greater than the one on Palm Sunday in this passage. Revelation 7 says this, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what the cross achieves. That's what it achieves. That's what we'll be doing. Life and life to the full. An eternal peace where we are forever singing God's praises. Jesus died to bring us this. Jesus died to bring us this life. And who's in that crowd in Revelation 7? We are. This is, we're mentioned in the Bible. This is fantastic. Clutching palm branches and cheering our King. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Well, because of the cross, we will all see Jesus. We will all see Jesus. Revelation 7 goes on to say, they've washed their robes, they've made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again, never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The next slide says, For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and the Lord God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Because of the cross, we will see this. Because of Jesus rose again, this is our future. And yes, through trials and difficulties, pandemics, warfare, drudgery, aches, pains, hard times, family difficulties, school, dear, home, whatever it is, this will all be a blink in an eye 
compared to the eternal song of heaven where we will see Jesus. We will see Jesus. We will see Jesus. So I'm going to put a slide up. This is, we finished. St. Paul's, um, what is your only comfort in life and death? Let's say this together if you feel like you can. I gave it to you in advance so that you could be sure of the words. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil. That he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live unto him. Amen. What is our comfort, our hope in life and in death? Well, in response to all the wonderful things we've heard of our Messiah Christ this morning, let's stand to sing the answer to that question now, a song all about our humble Saviour and our King. Please stand. <laughs> 